Hello, nerds, friends, librarians, and all you ilk. Welcome to the New Year edition of SS Librarianship Podcast. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got kind of a lot on our plate for you today, but in in sort of one big chunk. We're mm-hmm. doing a nice big fat extra large mind grapes with our <laughs> top ten from each of us uh, of 2013. Yeah, sort of the top ten things that we've enjoyed this year um, from our for with our nerdy media ways, you know, that kind of stuff. And then we'll end it off for you with a few of our New Year's resolutions and uh, and a call out for you to send us yours. Yes, because we'd love to we'd love to uh, read them out online and uh, make it so that you might actually accomplish those goals mm-hmm. this year. Yep. We are <laughs> we are there to be your nerdy life coaches. <laughs> Okay, we need to start this business now. <laughs> Screw this podcast. <laughs> All right, so I guess without further ado, we should jump in because this is a big one for you. Yeah, might as well. So uh, I'm Allie Sullivan, and there's always money in the banana stand. And I'm Sam Mills, and I've got a voice that can make a Wolverine purr and suit so fine they make Sinatra look like a hobo. <laughs> Let's get this one started. In the final Mind Grapes of 2013, Sam and I have decided to do a top tens of sorts. Um, so we're going to do sort of the top ten things that we enjoyed this year that also came out this year, or in one case finished this year. Uh, we've kind of set some rules on it. And so if there's a couple of things that we've talked about that uh, that seem a little weird, it's just because we did put these boundaries on ourselves. Of We wanted it to be stuff that happened in 2013, stuff that came out in 2013. Yeah, yeah, or at least a portion of it still still has existed within 2013. And the other yeah. thing is the top nine are going to be in no particular order. Yeah, the top nine are in no particular order, whereas the, the number one definitely has significance for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, for me as well. <laughs> it's going to be hilarious if it's the same thing, but I don't think it is. <laughs> Uh, so, do we want to alternate, or how do we want to do this? Sure. Okay. Let's let's alternate, and let's let's uh, let Sam get us started on this one. Okay. What was your number ten in no order thing of this year? <laughs> All right. So this is not necessarily the bottom of the list, but it's at the top of the list that I'm looking at, um, and that is Orange is the New Black, which we've talked about before on this show, and I'm assuming might be on your list as well. Uh it's number three on my list. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, but that but, show yeah. is just excellent. I mean, maybe we can just talk about it together here since it's on both of our sure. lists. It's just like nothing else that you've seen on television before. And really, I don't think would have been on television if it had to be on television, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah um, like the, the new the new way that we're consuming media these days definitely helped that show rise to the heights that it, it needed to or it should have. You know, and it, it is incredible. And um, it's funny, my parents don't have Netflix so they haven't seen it. And I'm just like, how could you not have Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a really sort of odd thing. And I, I mean, I know people our age who financially could have Netflix who just don't have it yet. And that's sort of mind boggling to me because so much of my quality entertainment comes from that these days. <laughs> and yeah, Orange is the New Black is at the top of that fairly short at this point um, list. It's mm-hmm. really the fact that it's almost entirely female characters and the fact that those female characters are so varied and so rich and played by such varied and rich performers. Like it's just, 
yeah, it was like nothing I'd seen on television before. And we talk a lot on this show and I certainly talk a lot on Tumblr too about you know, the, <laughs> the, the lack of um, solid female representation in a lot of different types of media, television being at the forefront of that. And Orange is the New Black went a long way to correcting that for sure. Yeah, and it was it's interesting if you look at Orange is the New Black in the context of a new piece that was just put out by Neil Gaiman, who is talking about um, how this uh, there's this idea that you're supposed to be writing strong women, and he's saying that how it leads to hackneyed writing um, yeah. because you know it, it gives it, it gives them this one quality of small. Ah, yes, <laughs> I haven't watched the uh, the time of the Doctor yet. I, I haven't, haven't finished up the the season just because I've been in. Phoenix and that kind of nerdy behavior is not tolerated um, <laughs> or indulged, I should say. Just tolerated within the perhaps. city limits of Phoenix, no nerd. I uh, no, just my my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but I think that Orange is the New Black is such an amazing show because the women weren't just strong, and you're seeing women at what must be one of the darkest points of their life when they're in prison. Yeah, so, and, and as well as in the flashbacks to sort of how each of them got to this point and. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because of the content of those flashbacks, sometimes the point they're at in prison is almost a high point. I mean, you think about uh, the character of Sophia, who in a lot of ways was very groundbreaking because she is a trans woman being played by an actress who is a trans woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the fact that she was actually that she's actually sort of more comfortable with herself now at the point that she's at although she's in prison <laughs> than she was <laughs> in her previous life is sort of interesting yeah. too. the juxtaposition of that. But, but yeah, uh, just, just kind of all around that show is double thumbs up. It was really absolutely. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I guess we've knocked off one of yours as well, but give us another one. <laughs> that's, that's just fine. Um, well, so the number, number 10 in no particular order on my list was actually a movie we saw over the summer and uh, I've read other reviews and seen other uh, videos about it. And uh, one of the best ones I saw was this is I think it was an honest trailer for this movie. If you watch those on YouTube, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it said this is either the best stupid movie I've ever seen or the stupidest awesome movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, that is, of course, Pacific Rim. Ah, I loved it. <laughs> I actually just saw it for the first time about two weeks ago, and it was so fun. It yeah. is so dumb, but it is so awesome. And, and can you imagine, like, watching it on the big screen with just, like, jumbles of machinery and monster guts flying at you? Like, it's... It, yeah, I do it's... regret that I have seen it on... I think the largest TV I've seen it on is, like, a 42-inch or something. That doesn't quite do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The movie the movie definitely is, is much improved by the big screen, but... Yeah, it's just, um, and I think the thing, one of the things I liked about the movie, which is kind of, it's it's interesting, and I think Guillermo del Toro does a really interesting thing with it, is is uh, the relationship between um, the 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 main character and and the female is there Mako 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 yeah, so the the character between Charlie like the the relationship between Charlie Hunnam and, and Mako is. Um, you know, it's kind of they, they. I think he tried really hard not to make it a will they, won't they, and then because, like, I don't know. It's just an interesting relationship because they don't actually like make out at the end or anything like that. No, um, I mean the scene that happens between them at the end could probably have happened between two straight men or two straight women or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it wasn't like the romance was was 
played with a little bit because there's like the sh- scene where he's shirtless and she's kind of like, oh, that's a shirtless Charlie Hunnam. And that's interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. But yeah, I really like that they didn't overplay the relationship, you know, like they are like like a romantic component of that relationship. Um, and that is honestly the mark of a really good sci-fi B-ish movie. Like I'm thinking of things like The Core or um, The Day After Tomorrow or whatever, right? It's about the spectacle and anything else, including romance, is sort of secondary. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but me and Pacific Rim were definitely drift compatible. I loved it. <laughs> um, I was I was just so enthralled by it and <laughs> it has definitely made my, my top 10 list this year. Just because like I... I went in with the proper expectation, you know? I, yeah, yeah. It's it's rare that a movie so perfectly and exactly meets what I wanted it to be and what I expected it to be. So, yeah, Pacific Rim. All right. Well, I think Definitely I'm, I'm going to continue with the, with the movie theme because I think my, my <laughs> next one on my list, uh, number number nine, I guess, although in no particular order, again, um, <laughs> definitely also was a movie that you had to go into – expecting essentially what you were going to get. And that was, this is the end. which <laughs> I was so excited to watch because I knew what I was getting into. I knew it was going to be batshit insane and probably pretty dumb and probably pretty gross. And I was not disappointed. <laughs> um, but that group of comedians who were in that movie led by Seth Rogen and Jay Baruchel, who are great. Um, Fantastic. Are just both. Yeah, that's right. Fantastic Canadians both um, are just, yeah, they're willing to sort of reach to this comedic place that like, I don't know, I think if they did it with less uh, passion for the comedy involved could just end up being your average sort of slapstick, disgusting movie, which, you know, we've seen a lot of out of that kind of group of, you know, Judd Apatow folks. Um, over the past decade or so but this movie was just so nuts like it went to so many crazy places and yet it had this sort of really sweet friendship between the two of them at the core that it worked so well and just when you thought that it could not get any more insane it did um like i mean i, I love the ending I think... of that movie i just remember sitting it i mean you know my laugh our, our listeners know my laugh by now and uh, i was just like sitting in the theater just cackling and crying with tears streaming down my face and that's exactly it i can wax poetic about you know levels of comedy and whatever all i want but really the reason i loved that movie was that i laughed my ass off the entire time (laughs) and part of that was because things were genuinely funny part of it was because they were surprising because they went even further than you expected them to Mm -hmm. and i went to that movie on my own which ordinarily means that you laugh a little less because you don't have you know being egged on by you know companions around you but I still, yeah, just was in hysterics <laughs> the entire time from from Michael Sarah at the very beginning to <laughs> those special guests at the very end that I won't ruin for those who uh, haven't seen it. But all I'll say is if you were in high school in the 90s, mm-hmm. you will appreciate the ending of that movie. <laughs> oh, it was, it was so good. No, yeah, I, was, I would yeah. I would. I approve and, of that And choice. also kind of breakout star of that movie, Craig Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, he's been he's solidly super. doing really good comedic work and all kinds of things over the years, but he just really brought it in that movie. Mm-hmm. For sure. So lots and lots of fun. Uh, don't watch it with your parents, but no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a good time. All right. So what's next for you? 
Well, maybe I'll turn the turn the ties a little bit. Still performance, still interesting. But um, I actually remembered a play that I saw um, really early this year. It was being put on at our, our local theater by our local theater company, the Arts Club, um, <laughs> to which I used to be employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it was a play called Ride the Cyclone. And uh, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, it's a musical, and what it is is it tells the story of this group of teenagers from a Catholic high school choir as they go through. Um, they're they're visiting this theme park in Uranium, Saskatchewan, okay. which is a real place. And um, while they're on this roller coaster, there's a horrible accident, and they all die. And there's this kind of nebulous, um, nebulous figure in the shape of a, a puppet animatronic um, fortune teller machine. You know okay. those things? Yep, yep. Like from Big. yeah, and and he's saying like there's only I think this he's saying like there's only one spot in heaven, and so they all kind of have to compete for it. And so they all sing songs about their lives and who they are and why they deserve to go to heaven or whatever. Like it is, it was so incredible. It's um, it was started by a little theater company in uh, Victoria, BC, and uh, it's it's gaining steam. And I would honestly not be surprised if it's getting Tonys in a few years. Like wow. it is, it is such a great musical. So if um. If anyone, I mean, it's a small little show, so still, I think. So if anyone happens to catch Ride the Cyclone on their way um, somewhere, then I would definitely recommend it. It is a must-see. So yeah. was it pretty much just playing in this area at this point? Or has it been I'm pretty over? sure. Yeah, it, uh, it started in Victoria. It started, I think, uh, we're, we'll put all the uh, you know details in the show notes. Oh, but absolutely. it was started by a yeah. small... Uh, Victoria-based theater company was written and, and a workshop there. And then um, they rented the Arts Club space a couple of years ago. And then this last year, um, the Arts Club actually sponsored a production of it um, in their, in their, in their uh, Gravel Island Theater. So, yeah. It, so I, I think it's just still a little bit small. It might be touring now as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, if, if New York gets wind of this thing, man, it could really take off. It is, it is right. such a great show. Huh. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess kind of difficult for our, our uh, listeners to check out, but maybe there's video yeah. footage or something online. That's yeah, really interesting. Some, yeah. We'll definitely, we'll see if we can find anything and put it up in the show notes. But, um, if you, yeah, if you get a chance, that was a super duper show. All right. I, did, I don't think I went to any plays this year. Good for you for getting out to one. <laughs> I also went to Avenue Q, which was hilarious. Oh, but. yeah. I saw that a few years ago in London. <laughs> that was pretty great. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So I guess it's back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to go for a podcast this time. Hey. And I spoke about these guys, I think, just a few weeks ago because I haven't been listening to them for very long. But it's the Book Riot podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and they up. just did their third. 30th episode I think somewhere in the 30s so they started this year same as us um, and obviously they're you know a bit of a larger production because they've got the Book Riot website which is a pretty big community behind them uh, but they're just very entertaining and very connected to the world of books and reading and I think I said this when I brought it up in our standard mind grapes a few weeks ago but um, as a librarian as a library student I don't have a ton of time to read 
actual books all the way through <laughs> as a library student. Um, and nor do I necessarily have a lot of time to keep up with the intricacies of what's going on in the publishing industry. Right. And so these guys are really great for sort of in a really entertaining, mostly lighthearted kind of way, bringing to the fore issues that are happening between publishers and libraries and independent booksellers and, you know, what's going on with ebooks or different ebook platforms that are coming out. And it's an hour every week and it's a great way to just sort of listen and um, find out what's going on in the world of books and reading. So I really enjoy listening to them. Jeff and Rebecca, who host it, are great. They have fantastic voices for the radio and they really, <laughs> um, yeah, make all that stuff really interesting. I mean, I suppose I'm predisposed to be interested in it anyway, but it's a really good time. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What's yeah. your next one? Uh, well, my next one is uh, is going to be a book. It's actually the only book on my list, and I and we were talking about this before we started, and saying there would be more books, but we did put these rules around them of it had to come out this year in 2013. So um, I read a lot of books this year. Not all of them were <laughs> from yeah. 2013 exactly, <laughs> um, but this one is. And so this year I did get to read Ocean at the End of the Lane. And I think I may have talked about it on a previous Mind Grapes, but it was just a lovely little gem of a book um, and a beautiful story, some great characters and uh, some really cool, really cool magic. The kind of magic where you really want to know the rules, but Neil Gaiman's not going to tell you the rules of his magic. So, um, yeah, so that was a really lovely book, a great read uh, and a quick read, too. It doesn't take very long. Do you get to the point by the end where you do come to an understanding of the rules? No, and it's really frustrating. <laughs> Interesting. Because that was because one of the things um, that I think kept me away from fantasy for a long time was I was such a sci-fi fan when I in my younger years. I still am, but I was sort of more, more exclusively a sci-fi fan in my younger years. And part of it was in a sci-fi story, you always get an explanation at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, um, it's the reason, I think one of the reasons why we don't get a lot of the rules is it is told through flashback. It's, uh, you know, a man who's, recalling this experience of his youth and there's this kind of was it imaginary was it a dream was what was the actual circumstances of this of this occurrence kind of thing going on so I think that's why you don't get a lot of the rules because I mean he was seven when it occurred so um, he wouldn't have been able to grasp it anyway and it's yeah it's it's a really really interesting world um, like it's just a little beautiful world that he's built in that book so that's yeah, definitely. It's, it's great, too, that Gaiman was able to sort of put out a small, sweet book like that without with the year that he's had, which has been quite big in a lot of ways with working mm -hmm. on Doctor Who and all the yeah. other things that he's been doing. Yeah. All awesome. Right. I actually have no books on my list for exactly the reason that you were saying. I read a bunch of books this year. I've talked about that. Bad, library. Show, but, Bad library. But none of them came out in 2013. <laughs> So uh, actually, and it, when we get to our next segment later, I'm going to talk about that a bit more. But for now, I'll move on to my next thing, which is uh, television, uh, which is Happy Endings. Yay! Which you got me into. I love and, that show. Uh, yeah, and I watched <laughs> the entire thing over the space of probably not even a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a good it was good background work as I was working on videos and websites and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's just so fun and it's so unlike anything else out there in a lot of ways you can't really pigeonhole it like it's not really it's not 
really as insane and sort of meta and weird as Community is, but it's mm-hmm. not your sort of standard sitcom either. It does have this group yeah. of friends that it follows, but they are really odd, quirky, and very intelligent characters. So yeah, like I, I, I get kind of annoyed when people say that it's it's like oh it's just like Friends. I'm like well no it's it's smarter than Friends. It's, yeah. You know, I don't think it's as accessible as Friends, and that's why I really like it. I mean, the accessibility of Friends is one of the things that turns me off about it because I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, people are so I mean, boring. I think it's happening less these these days because of <laughs> you know different ways that you can access these media and because of things like Netflix and whatever. But unfortunately, that's probably why Happy Endings ended this year because it's not yeah. as accessible as something like Friends, um, but also not as niche as something like community which survived Mm -hmm. because it had this really 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 passionate community behind it um but yeah it's just fantastic and the most fantastic thing about it i think and i'm not sure if we've talked about this on the show although i know we've talked about it is is the character of max is Mm -hmm. just amazing i mean he's he's really really entertaining and adam pally does such a great job of playing him but also i remember reading an article a month or two ago about how max is actually the most important gay character in the history of broadcast television. And I would Mm -hmm. kind of agree with that because he doesn't embody a single gay stereotype. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have these other shows like say modern family, which are very enlightened (laughs) in a lot of ways in their treatment of, of gay characters, but they're, but they're still very much stereotypes, right? I mean, most gay couples on TV are a couples so that you can demonstrate that they're gay that way. And Mm -hmm. B, they're very much like Mitch and Cam in the sense that there's, you know, a sort of more neurotic guy who could probably pass as straight and then a more flamboyant guy as his partner, right? There's always that dichotomy. Um, Sorry, I'm laughing. I'm just remembering the episode where Adam Pally is a bear. (laughs) <laughs> like like literally like he hibernates and they they like poke yeah. him with a stick and he grumbles like it's... and they do that several times they have well, doesn't that he get episode. his head stuck in a honeypot at yes. one point too yes he does yeah. <laughs> very, very max but not necessarily very gay stereotype <laughs> um, and Sorry. yeah i'm remembering that one i'm also remembering the one where um a couple of his friends, one of whom is a much more stereotypical flamboyant gay guy, spend the night with him going out on the town in Chicago trying to figure out which gay subculture he belongs to. And oh, eventually yeah. he has to start his own because he doesn't <laughs> belong to any of them. And so they do some really interesting things on that show and doing it within the comedy, I think, let them maybe push it a bit further in terms of commenting on the fact that not every gay person fits into these four holes that broadcast television has for them. So... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just really, the character of Max is definitely a standard on that show. But they're all entertaining, and the fact that the other two main male characters are, in their own ways, much more sensitive or flamboyant or beauty obsessed than Max himself is is, uh, <laughs> is just a bonus too. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, definitely glad that I discovered that one this year. Although sad that, that it it also ended this year. Moment oh. of silence. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> well, why don't we just move on to your next one then? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, if we're going to uh, talk about shows, I have one that I think might show up on your list as well. Mm-hmm. You turned me on to this show, and I was reluctant at first, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine is probably one of the best things on TV right now. I would completely agree with that. It's actually not on my list, partially because I assumed it would be on yours and partially because my list was just so full of good stuff. But that show is, yeah, excellent. Yeah. I think we've talked a little bit about it already, but um, but I started watching it too, and it's just it's just a beautiful show. I think that, um, oh, what's the main character actor's name? 
uh, oh Andy Samberg Andy Samberg his oh god what a face on that guy <laughs> like and you know and there's another char- show with really great women characters you know like Absolutely. they're they're funny and they're neurotic I think Rosa is probably one of my top five most favorite people on TV she's just she's just hilarious yeah and just with that leather jacket and that like that monotone voice, it's just spectacular. Oh, absolutely. So. And really filling a niche that I think in, in previous years in a cop show like this would have been filled by a male character, probably. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I like that the characters are, you know, they're your quote unquote strong women. They're obviously very driven. They're obviously very, um, you know, accomplished in, in what they're doing. But they're also, you know, like they're they're a little neurotic and they're a little weird and they're obviously kind of standoffish sometimes. And so they've got a lot going on with those with those. Yeah, yeah they're also just as weird and crazy as everyone else in the office. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the uh, fact that everyone else is just as weird and crazy as as each other also means that like Andy Samberg doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> which I think yeah, he instead he yeah. just is at the lead of this really odd ensemble. Chelsea Peretti too does an amazing job. Oh in this. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's definitely on my list because I loved it. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever watch Barney Miller when you were a kid? Obviously, no. it's from before our time, but it was on in reruns a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> that sort of. The show that I think in a lot of ways Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, is hearkening back to. And um, Abe Vigoda played sort of a, the same kind of odd character <laughs> on that show that, uh, that the actress who plays Rosa, whose name escapes me, mm-hmm. plays today. Yeah, Good choice. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's great. Uh, all right. So I guess moving right along, we can continue with the theme of TV for a little while. And my, uh, my next item is actually not necessarily a single show. It's more a particular run of a particular show. And that's John Oliver hosting The Daily Show this past summer. Oh, that was pretty fun. Which was just excellent. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not the only one who noticed. It's gotten him his own show. (laughs) (laughs) um, But really just, you didn't know what to expect. You'd never seen him do that kind of thing. He'd done these little one-off, very clever kind of segments on the show. And I'd seen him in community and that kind of thing. But to sit there night after night and kind of, develop a relationship with the audience and follow these ongoing stories and come up with his own little memes and callbacks and whatever. He really took charge of that role more than I think anyone expected him to. I mean, mm-hmm. John Stewart's been doing that show for like 15 years or something. Yeah, and those are much. big shoes to step into. And of course there were a lot of jokes all the way through about, you know, um, they had a segment where they would talk about the most important news of the day and it was called for fuck's sake can't you just wait till john stewart gets back but, <laughs> uh, but i mean self-deprecation aside he did an excellent excellent job he was so entertaining i was actually a little sad when john stewart did come back because he mm-hmm. did such a great job of really intelligently commenting on all these insane things that happened this summer yeah um and of course the carlos danger dance will you know, <laughs> get me every time so, oh, that's, so that's definitely great. on my list <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to veer off and do one that I know won't be on your list because <laughs> I know your media predilections. Um, I'm putting Bioshock Infinite as a game that is definitely in my best my best things I've done this year. Um, it was a long time coming. People have been waiting for this game for, for quite a while, and, and uh, it's just beautiful. <laughs> It's it's so funny. I didn't play the original Bioshock um, or the sequel, Bioshock 2, just because I'm normally not a big fan of uh, the, the FPS genre, which is the, the first-person shooters. So, as you know, you're playing a character who shoots guns at things. Right. 
not usually that attractive a feature for me, but just the the hype around this game, and then when it did come out, and the the complexity of the story, and the layers upon layers, and the you know the almost uh, almost Inception type ideas that are in the story, it was just absolutely incredible. I didn't play it on very hard mode, <laughs> just because one of the um, I'm a weird gamer in that uh, one of the frustrating things for me in a game when something that'll really take me out of it is dying. Like if I die in a video game, I'm just like, ugh. It just <laughs> yeah. ruins it. <laughs> As someone who doesn't game very much and therefore is kind of terrible in most games, I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. So so you know, if I actually if I actually die in a game, I'm I get really frustrated. So I didn't play it on a very hard mode, especially because I'm not used to the first person shooter and I'm not used to that kind of a gaming environment. Um but I really, I really loved Bioshock Infinite. Um, it's not a terribly long game. I think I played it over, finished it over a few days. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're if you're a fan of gaming, or if you're if you're interested in first person shooters, but kind of want one that's going to uh, grab you as well as you know help you learn how to use the mechanics of it, um, Bioshock Infinite was an absolutely beautiful game. The visuals are just stunning. Um, the gameplay is fantastic. Uh, it was just all around an amazing, amazing game. I'm sure it's going to be on all the gaming top 10 lists this year. Um, you know, I actually so. was watching some of the um, Giant Bomb top 10 coverage with my brother over Christmas, which mm-hmm. ordinarily I would never have sought out, but because he was watching it, I watched it too. And I don't <laughs> think a lot of them mentioned Bioshock. They tried to go off in, I think, more more obscure directions. But Well, that's just for gamer hipster nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I love Bioshock. So definitely, list. definitely one of the best things I played this year. So I'm going to move us into yet another different medium, uh, which is the radio. Radio, I, radio. Yep. Yeah. Uh, to be honest hey, with you, like a 1930 called. It wants its stuff back. <laughs> Don't knock the radio. You'll find out in a second why this is important. Um, now, to be honest with you, I ordinarily listen to this particular broadcast as a podcast. Um, it's great that it's available that way because then I don't have to necessarily tune in at 10 o'clock Saturday morning or whenever this is, um, which if you know I can, I'll be asleep at that point. But uh, so the show I'm talking about is Day 6, which is a show on CBC Radio. Uh, that comes out every Saturday morning. It's called Day 6 because sixth day of the week. And uh, what they try and do is sort of cover the news of the day in a way that isn't going to be done by any other show. They're not necessarily a comedy show. Like, they don't go as far as something like The Daily Show or The Colbert Report does. It is serious reporting. But they tend to either take an issue that's in the news and look at it from a different angle or look at coverage of it that hasn't been seen before. Mm -hmm. Or they'll just pick up on a story that no one else is necessarily going to pick up. Um, So, for example, uh, Stompin' Tom Connors died this year. Yeah. And he's sort of a big figure in Canadian folk music. Um, And what they did on day six, rather than just sort of eulogizing Stomp and Tom himself and playing his music and all of that, was they tracked down the bartender in, I want to say, somewhere in Nova Scotia, um, who was the person who basically saved Stomp and Tom from starving on the streets. He was Mm -hmm. traveling around with his guitar with no real, you know place to go or place to sleep or anything and this guy heard him playing and decided to offer him food for the night and a little bit of you know room and board uh in exchange for him playing in this bar that this guy ran and that was the beginning of his career more and more people saw him there and he you know had enough to eat and was able to continue playing and his career 
launched from that bar. And so oh, what they did was go back and talk to that guy about the early days of Stompin' Tom and about what he saw in him that made him, you know, let Tom hang out in the bar and eat some food, <laughs> which oh, cool. was really, really interesting. And so they tend to take that sort of angle on things if they can. Um, this year in a lot of ways has been a very sad one in the news um, because of, among other things, these drone attacks that have been happening, mm-hmm. often hitting civilians, um, whether they're intended that way or not is still kind of unclear. And in covering that story, rather than just covering the big players and the governments and militaries involved, they also found um, this poet, and I'll try and find the link and throw it in the show notes, who was rewriting the beginnings of famous stories as if they had been cut short by a drone attack. So mm-hmm. things like the opening paragraph of Mrs. Dalloway, where she's yeah. you know, buying the flowers herself. And that's pretty much all she gets to do because then drone attack. Oh, and man. it's just brutal <laughs> to think about it that way. It's really a way of, yeah, placing yourself in the shoes of people whose lives are being cut short like this. It sounds it was, heavy. It was heavy to listen to. But it was also, <laughs> I think, a little more impactful than just listening to the news and the more antiseptic way that we often do right mm-hmm. and uh, i've got another one that's kind of a downer but it's another example of of how well they they dig up these stories and that's um they also did a story this year on the motion picture association of america and their relationship with the humane society mm-hmm. and what that disclaimer no animals were harmed in the making of this motion picture actually means mm-hmm. and whether or not it means what we all think it means and you know does it mean no animal associated with this production was harmed in any way or does it mean that while the cameras were rolling on the set no animals were Mm. harmed and so because there were some issues with I think some horses during the Hobbit on a farm Mm. that was associated in some way with the production but wasn't necessarily on the set so anyway I don't want to point fingers or anything I'll put a link (laughs) to that story as well but again a really interesting story that I think would fall through the cracks of more mainstream media coverage of something like the Hobbit right for sure so yeah I would definitely definitely recommend day six it is one of the reasons why you know we should still keep supporting the CBC because otherwise we wouldn't necessarily (laughs) hear stories like that exactly well the next one on my list we've uh, we've i won't go into too much detail about because uh i actually just had it on my mind grapes last week um and that is zelda between two worlds right. <laughs> mostly because i'm just about finished it now i'm i'm at the point where i just have to beat ganon the final boss and um yeah it was it was surprising me for a zelda game because because of the difficulty level. I mean, uh, I did die a lot <laughs> in that game, <laughs> which, as we've talked about, is usually pretty annoying for me. But um, I kind of respected it from a Zelda game because it's so unexpected because, I don't know, usually I can breeze through a Zelda game with with very little, hmm. you know, kind of difficulty. Um, but having a Zelda game that was a little bit more challenging was, was refreshing and it was really great. So, um, yeah, if you've got the 3DS and you've, uh, got some time on your hands, uh, Between Two Worlds is actually really worthwhile. I mean, it kind of steps away. I mean, you're still, it still has the sort of formulaic, your link, your rescuing Zelda, Zelda trouble, blah, blah, blah. So it's got the same kind of formula, but, um, but it's, it steps away from it enough that it's really interesting. Um, you know, totally, uh, totally foreseeable plot twist at the end, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> at least for someone as well versed in Zelda as you, right? Oh, <laughs> perhaps. Well, I think I think I actually have played 
every iteration of that game that's ever been released, with the exception of Skyward Sword, because I don't have a Wii. But um, do you think that part of why this one was more challenging is maybe that they're they're catching up with their demographics, so to speak? Like they're realizing that people who played Zelda when they were 10 are still playing Zelda? I think a little bit. That's probably a lot to do with it. I think they are also trying to capitalize on the interest in uh, sandbox worlds like we talked about last week with uh, with Theo. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's I think it's a combination of factors. But um, but yeah, I think they are recognizing that Zelda is an enduring tradition for those of us who who love it as much as we do. So um, so still a really great game, though. So one of the one of the best things I've done this year, for sure. All right. Better than the 40 plus hours I've sunk into Pokemon. That's <laughs> <laughs> And that's high praise. <laughs> I do love my Pokemon. So I'm going to return us to TV for a minute. And this is a little bit of a cheat because I've watched all of this show this year, even though it didn't all happen this year, but it is right. still it is still on the air. So um Supernatural? No, not Supernatural. <laughs> uh it's Parks and Recreation. Okay. And you know, and I'm sure some of our listeners know, especially if they've picked up on the various little nods to it throughout the podcast, that I am a giant 30 Rock fan. 30 (laughs) Rock is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And it was, I don't know, I watched it, but I didn't watch Parks and Rec. And I'm not sure why not, because Tina Fey and Amy Poehler come out of the same comedic tradition. I don't know why I never got around to it. But now that I have... I think I like it more than 30 Rock, which I've said to several of my friends over the last couple of weeks, and they've had the exact same reaction you just did. Um, It's just so clever. And in a lot of ways, Leslie Nope is a much more both realistic and inspiring figure than Liz Lemon. I will always love Liz Lemon. She will always be near and dear to my heart. But, um, But yeah, Leslie is just a fantastic character, and she is surrounded by just the greatest little family of weirdos ever to grace a TV, <laughs> TV screen. I really do think um, Chris Pratt is a breakout on that show. I've now caught up to the point where Rob Lowe is a main cast member and <clears throat> I have never seen Rob Lowe be this funny. He's just <laughs> he's hysterical. Got timing. Yeah. Yeah. And his character is Chris Traeger is such an interesting character because he's so, I don't know. He starts out as being this very sort of positive, peppy, always addresses everyone by both of their names, um, thinks that he's going to be the first human to live forever because he takes such good care of himself and has like 2.8 percent body (laughs) fat and whatever. And slowly they peel back the layers of that and show that there's maybe not the happiest person in the world underneath. And comedy comes from that, too. Mm -hmm. So and that's really just one example of, you know, everyone on that show is could could be a breakout star on any other show. So to have them all clustered together there is just fantastic. I highly, highly recommend Parks and Recreation. I, I often if you're have as behind funny... the times as me and haven't checked it out. <laughs> I, uh, I often have this funny fantasy, Sam, where I like to think of you and I as a kind of, uh, you know, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler combo. I love it. And I often have arguments with myself to figure out which is which. I know. In our... <laughs> I honestly, you know, we're going to have to solicit that from our listeners, maybe. <laughs> Peg us as Tina or Amy, because I don't know. I'm torn now. I would have said Liz until I... six months ago. Yeah, I would have. That's, that's just too funny, because I've been, I've been thinking about that. But, uh, I mean, lofty goals, because oh, those are yeah. two it's, badass women. It's quite the comparison, but, uh, but it's something to aspire to. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say it's more aspirational than realized, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's funny. I've often thought about like, well, which is which though? I think I think we both embody parts of parts of both. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Liz, Liz and Leslie are, are well-realized characters, but there's still a little bit of a of a <laughs> lack of dimension there that, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so what's next on your list? Um, well, I think this is, oh, yeah, okay, cool. I'm just looking at my paper and reading things. Um, I guess I'll turn us back to movies again for, for just one more. Um, one of the things I really, really enjoyed this year, and I was expecting to enjoy it, and I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, with what happened in it, was, um, was Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing. I I just I remember just you know being absolutely stuck to the screen the whole time I watched that movie. I thought doing it the way they did was gorgeous. I loved the location. Joss's house is amazing and um <laughs> I loved the you know the the black and white. I loved the way they did the dialogue. Amy Acker was dazzling. I was just going to and- say in terms of amazing women. Yeah, Amy <laughs> Acker was just mesmerizing in that. Yeah, and uh oh, he's Topher in Dollhouse. <laughs> yeah but, I oh i don't remember his name either can't remember his name but uh you know he's he's magical as well and i just i just loved everything about that production i i could not i i could find absolutely nothing to complain about nathan fillion hilarious um, <laughs> yeah nathan fillion and tom lank as the contest yeah. was just yeah delightful yeah so i i you know that was another one where it, uh, it fit my expectations so perfectly because I was just like, you know, I, I love Shakespeare. Much Ado is one of my favorites. And um, to, have it, to have it being embodied by some of my favorite actors and some of my and, and you know, to be um, put together by one of my, my favorite director writers is, is just, oh, it was beauty. Yeah. And again, someone doing a little labor of love amongst much larger projects, which is always mm-hmm. really nice to see, too. Right. Yeah, I love those kind of little labor of love things because I think that when you're doing when you're doing something just for the fun of it, you know, just for just for the enjoyment, just because you think it's going to be a good time. I I love those kinds of those kinds of things. I really think that the the power of those moments can shine through um, for that. Absolutely. That's not on my list, but it would have made it had I done like a top 15 for sure. (laughs) Really, really good. Uh, Fran Kranz, by the way. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. He's spectacular. So, uh, okay, so I'm going to do another medium that we haven't done yet, which is music. Mm. Um, I very recently, just like a couple weeks ago, actually, purchased the uh, Night Visions album by Imagine Dragons. Uh, The song that everyone's probably most familiar with is Radioactive, which has been used a lot on the radio and in various trailers and things this year. Are you going to sing it for me? No. (laughs) But I will put a link in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, this this album is really, really fun. It's um, Radioactive itself is really this sort of big anthem type song. They're sort of part of the more um, epic school of indie rockers. They're more mm-hmm. Phoenix than the Shins, say. You know, mm-hmm. There's a little more punch to it. But yeah. uh, the writing is great. The music is great. It's really kind of uplifting stuff. It's very um, the kind of anthem you want playing while you're, you know, imagining yourself doing a montage of something really <laughs> difficult or finishing an essay or running an extra mile or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really loved Radioactive. I decided to check out the whole album and I was not disappointed. Um there are several songs that are a little lighter in tone than Radioactive on it, but they all kind of have that that up kind of epic anthem feel to them. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, again, not necessarily something I've done a lot of this year, buying and listening to new music from 2013, mm-hmm. but that I would definitely yeah. recommend. 
Awesome. Well, then I guess I'll, uh, this is the last one on my list that isn't number one. Um, so, uh, I'll talk about that a little bit and it's a different medium as well. Um, this is another thing that has been ongoing for years and years and years. And she actually had a publication come out, I think in 2011. Um, yeah, I think 2011. And it's, uh, my, one of my favorite web comic artists, her name is Kate Beaton. Um, and she's, uh, she's an absolutely amazing Canadian webcomic, uh, started out doing a lot of history comics. Yes. Those are uh, the so, ones people are most familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so her, her first book, uh, came out, it was just a little paperback that was on Tapa, Tapatoko, 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 that's the one. Um, and then, uh, her, her more recent publication, Harka Vagrant was, was a mass, uh, mass market publication. Um, but she's, uh, you know, she's been keep on keeping on this year and she's been doing some really amazing stuff. Um, she's done some new Wonder Woman comics, which are my favorite because she just has Wonder Woman as this complete, uh, brassy kind of, nice. all she wants to do is punch Nazis, you know? <laughs> so. And people are saying it's difficult to do Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, which is a complete, yeah, there's a new Wonder Woman now, Gal Gadot. And of course, in her first interview, they ask her about her boobs. Oh my goodness! Dis- At least we've got Kate Beaton correcting for that on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Um, but if we were doing a normal mind grapes this week, I would have talked about Kate Beaton because uh, she's been—I've uh, been kind of living a similar life as her in the past couple of weeks because she went home early for Thanksgiving and hung out with her parents uh, just by herself, and so I did the same thing. I, I came down here quite early and. And staying for quite a while. So she's been doing these little comics, um, just sort of about being an adult home at Christmas and how <laughs> how weird it can be sometimes and just the little mm-hmm. things that happen. So um, so she did a whole series of those and she's actually uh, put them all together and compiled them on one website now. So we'll definitely put that in the show notes. But, yeah, I'd like to have uh, a look at that. Yeah, it was it was adorable and just like little little vignettes, you know, of things that I'm like, yeah, that would totally happen in my house and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so it's it was really lovely and uh, yeah, so she's she's continuing on her website's Hark of Vagrant and uh, her comics. They aren't with any kind of regularity usually. Um, she also has a really great Tumblr. Uh, so definitely if you haven't gotten your hands on anything related to Kate Beaton, you should definitely check her out. She is super duper fantastic. All right. Well, I'll certainly do that because I've seen some of her stuff, but not this new Christmas and Thanksgiving (sighs) stuff. So the final item on my list coming up on number one, so I guess it's number two, although in no particular order, um, (laughs) is a podcast that I've mentioned before on the show, not necessarily in a Mind Grapes context, but I think when we were talking about sort of inspirations for our podcast, this came up, and that's Roderick on the Line, which is my all-time favorite podcast. Um, It's still very niche, like there's a good chunk of people that listen to it, but it's not as big as, you know, the shows on the Maximum Fun Network or something like Book Riot or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so much fun, and it's so... It's just Merlin Mann and John Roderick talking for about an hour every week. They don't necessarily come into it with any particular topics they want to talk about. Sometimes it's things that are going on in their lives. Sometimes it's movies that they've been watching on Netflix. Uh, Sometimes it's John Roderick's political aspirations as he becomes sort of this aged rock star figure who uh, is getting involved in Seattle politics. And um, they're just both so clever and interesting and have these just really unique perspectives on things that uh, they're just a joy to listen to. 
That's awesome. Even about, <laughs> yeah, even about the most just mundane things. Um, <laughs> often it will degenerate into discussions of World War II. There's a running joke on the show that they should have another spinoff podcast called Hitler and Stuff. <laughs> but, um, but again, always, you know, bringing it back to something really interesting. And uh, two episodes ago, not the most recent one, but the one before, which is called uh, Born on a Ball. Um Roderick talks a lot about his daughter and sort of introducing her to Christmas traditions. And that was definitely a really interesting one. Um, he's not not much of one for tradition. And so he's, he's thinking about how to introduce her to Christmas in a way that makes sense to him. And it was a really interesting listen for sure. So uh, oh, cool. if you want to start somewhere recent, start there. But I've listened to them all and they're all very, <laughs> very entertaining. Um, oh, that's, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, you've been trying to get me to listen to that one for a long time. It's it's on my list. It's definitely not for everyone. I mean, if you don't enjoy the two of them talking, then that really is all it is <laughs> because the content de definitely varies from week to week. But uh, but yeah, a lot of the little touches on our show that I've added things like um, like how we take a quote from the show every week and use it as our title. <laughs> that's definitely a a Merlin Man style podcasting thing to do. So I've definitely taken a page from those guys here and there. <laughs> So I guess we're up to number one. Number ones. Oh, man. Should we say that um, at the same time? What should we do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, go ahead and go first. Okay. I'll go ahead and go first. So my number one is, uh, I didn't share this with Sam because I wanted it to be a surprise. But my number one is a podcast as well. And it is actually our podcast. Uh, oh. I think that... <laughs> Uh, this podcast is one of the coolest things I've ever done, um, not to mention just one of the best things I've done in 2013. So um, we started it this year. I, um, you know, I have I've really fallen in love with the routine of it. I love doing it every week. I love chatting with Sam and talking about all kinds of nerdy, weird stuff. And um, I really think that 2014 is going to be a great year for the podcast. I think we're going to get some great guests on. And um, so it's definitely sort of the number one thing. Uh, that I've been able to contribute to as well as uh, listen to this year. So cheesy. I think that's the best Christmas present I've gotten this year. Aww. That's so sweet. <laughs> I feel the same way. I really, I'm so grateful to you and to our <laughs> listeners and to everyone who's come on the show because this has been just a fantastic experience. It's been so much fun. Yeah. And it's been great to get to know people that, you know, we meet at school and we don't get to know them very well just through that. But to get to sit down and talk to them for an hour and, you know, longer than an hour because we usually just chill out after. <laughs> before, yeah, before and after, before as we struggle with our microphones and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this has been definitely uh, the highlight of my 2013 as well, working on this with you. And, um, and really, as you say, I mean, the best way to get to know someone is to show genuine interest in them. And I think that we've, mm. yeah, we've done that through, you know, flexing our interview skills with uh, the <laughs> folks that we've had on and and yeah we're so grateful to all of them from you know mary who has been our, our number one cheerleader and has been so supportive of the show and so helpful in getting it out there through to you know just everyone who's who's been on who's listened who's tweeted at us we're very mm -hmm. grateful yeah and we uh, we hope that we're able to live up to your interest in 2014 for sure <laughs> So what's your number one, Sam? Well, now I feel like this should have been done in the in the opposite order. But, you know, I guess that really shows that we are doing this live and off the cuff. <laughs> um, well, I, I want to call this my like 2.5 or something now because my number one is also our show. But my number one in terms of mainstream media creations this year 
is gravity. Ah, I knew you were going to do that. And uh, and I suppose I can draw a sort of parallel between that and this show because this show <laughs> oh, really? is I'd something like to see how that, works. that I'm so glad <laughs> I'm doing in my real life as librarianship as a career, teaching as a career, doing this show with you as a, you know, maybe not quite career yet, but <laughs> certainly a fantastic off the side of the desk activity. But when I was a kid... I did not picture this kind of life for myself. All I wanted to do was join Starfleet. And <laughs> as a close second, since I couldn't do that, I definitely had some aspirations as a kid to become an astronaut. And my life did not go in that direction, and I'm fine with the fact that it didn't. But watching Gravity was as close as a human who isn't an astronaut can come to being in space. Mm-hmm. And that's not just me saying that. That's Commander Hadfield saying that as well. And so I mean, I won't go into it. We've talked about it in my grapes before, but it was, I think, the best piece of escapist fiction that I saw this year. It wasn't escapist in the sense that it was, you know, peppy and upbeat. Again, it had an interesting, flawed female character at the center of it who was having a rough time. But it was just totally immersive. So mm-hmm. so that's my number one of just being, you know, immersed in another world. And, and our show is my number one thing from my actual <sighs> life. We'll do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to see Gravity this year. I definitely agree. It was it was such an amazing movie. And um, one of the things I thought was the most interesting uh, thing about it was the fact that it was a whole movie where it was really carried by one actor. Yeah. Like the the whole the whole the whole enchilada, um, you know. Like there are other actors. Like George Clooney's role kind of slides in and out, and and let's and, not forget uh, Ed Harris. Yeah, as as the voice on the on the radio. Yep. Um, but really, I mean, you are seeing solidly one human being on the screen for the entirety of the film. Yeah. Um, so that's it was it was just amazing that I could that I could remain engaged that long and. She was Sandra Bullock just did such a great job that uh, yeah if she doesn't get another Oscar for this movie I will eat my hat. Yeah, I mean we've we've had discussions both on the show and in real life before about the you know relative meaning of the Oscars to what's happening in the rest <laughs> of the industry. But yeah. I think everyone on both sides of that chasm can agree that she was just incredible in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, I guess that's that's it those are our numbers. that's our year <laughs> i'm all right with being up there with uh, sandra bullock and alfonso coron i think we earned that through our hard work this year on ss librarianship or sure. sure well it was i think it was a really cool year for media i think some really neat stuff happened and um you know this is an important year for nerd culture as well just kind of we're not necessarily at the fore but you know we're i think it's a lot more respected and uh i think that uh that we will inherit the earth or something. Yeah, we are solidly in the mainstream now and with more intelligent, more interesting things than just, say, the Big Bang Theory. And that's yeah. that's really important. Yeah, agreed. So it's been a good year for nerds, but uh, I think 2014 will be even better. Indeed. Yay! So since this is our last episode of 2013 and we're (laughs) heading right into New Year's, uh, we're going to do what we're sure most of you are probably doing at New Year's this year um, and come up with some resolutions for the coming year. I mean, I think it goes without saying that making this podcast as awesome as it can be is number one on both of our lists. (laughs) But for uh, sure. Yeah, we've got some more personal resolutions as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I can start if you want. 
Go for it. Uh, one of mine is actually connected to the fact that, as we were saying, I read a lot of books in 2013. Maybe not as many as I should have, but um, none of them were published in 2013. <laughs> and, um, I'm a big rereader. I haven't done a ton of rereading this year, but I tend to reread. And back when um, I worked at Cole's Books in 2007, uh, my New Year's resolution that year, which I was so proud of myself for coming up with, was no rereading. Read only new books. New to me, mm. at least. And that worked really well. I discovered a lot of new authors that year. I mean, I'm sure it was partly a function of working in a bookstore, but um, I really was seeking out new stuff. <clears throat> and so I think I'm going to do that again in this in the coming year. No rereading. <laughs> I, may, I may step that up to no reading things by authors I've already read things by, but, but Ooh, we'll, wow. we'll, we'll play that one by ear. That but, one would uh, be tough, though. Yeah. Because what yeah. if a sequel comes out? Exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, think that's a that's a that's a formidable goal, but I think you can get that one done. All right. Well, what about you? Well, mine have a little more of a physically fit bent to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing I've been doing some yoga practice, and uh, I've been trying to get into a little bit better shape this year. So I'd like to kind of continue on that trend. And as far as specifics in the yoga practice go, uh, the the headstand is one of those things that uh, I think every yogi always wants to do, but uh, <laughs> the the limits of my physical capacity um, sometimes don't let me yeah, that's a tough one. do that. So, um, you know, by the end of the year, I'd really like to get to a place in yoga where I couldn't get myself into a headstand. But if I can't, then that's just what the universe is trying to tell me. So I would accept it. How, very, how very yogic of you. Of course it is. <laughs> that's a great goal. Um, I too would like to, uh, yeah, definitely keep up what I've been doing and maybe step it up a little bit in terms of physical fitness. I don't have any specific goals on that front yet, so I'll leave that one out of my formal resolutions. But uh, yeah, I'll be talking to one of the trainers at the gym to to step my own stuff up a bit in January. Um, but my next one is actually uh, a musical one. Oh, um, I have a guitar. I play the guitar. I have a trumpet. I play the trumpet. Um, I sing, but I really didn't do a lot of that stuff this year. If you don't count mm. you and I singing the lyrics to the original Star Trek theme song to Torment Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but why wouldn't you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> classic, classic us. Um, but what I'd like to do is step that up a bit this year is find some more people to play music with, play my own music on a bit more of a regular basis. And I live in a neighborhood that's kind of hopping with, you know, open mic nights and karaoke nights and things like that. So I'd like to, to take my music out there a little more. Um, we'll see uh, if I can come up with some more specific goals about that. But just picking up my guitar on a more regular basis and uh, and getting that kind of thing out there a bit more is, is what, one of the things that I'd like to do in 2014. Be more musical. <laughs> that's, that's I'll be right there beside you, bud. All right. So my last, uh, my, my other one here is kind of a uh, materialistic if you if you might say, mm-hmm. but um, I'd like to finish my MLIS, which I think is more of a goal than a than a resolution. It's it's sort of coming down the turnpike, and to make it not happen, I'd have to do something fairly drastic <laughs> <laughs> at this point. But um, getting that, getting my MLIS, and then the sort of subsequent goals of of you know getting a job. Um, in in the library field would uh, would definitely be uh, resolutions more more real goals than the resolutions but um, I'd be I'd be very happy if that could happen. 
Yeah, I am also right there with you on that one for sure. <laughs> Again, not on my formal list of resolutions, but um, but definitely something that I would like to do by by even midway through 2014. I would mm-hmm. hope that both of us, with our our experience and passion, will uh, will have landed somewhere interesting job wise. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my last one is again sort of a more like creative and personal one, um, but it's it's to to create more art. Um, this year I actually for Christmas did homemade gifts for people and one of the things I tried and I was sure that it was not going to work was I made a pair of those tiny um, book earrings okay so yeah it's actually like a little book it has a little cover and little pages in it and little mm-hmm. floral end papers and whatever and it's on a pair of earrings and that was not as difficult as I expected it to be I think I always think of myself as more of a writer or a musician than like a visual artist mm-hmm. um, I mean you guys all met Theo last week and he's the visual artist in the family right? <laughs> um, so we all tend to pigeonhole ourselves in, uh, in the context of our siblings but um, I actually had a lot of fun with that and it was not as difficult as I thought that it was going to be nor was it very costly so I think I'm going to investigate the possibility of you know making some more of those and maybe starting a little store or something we'll see how that goes but uh, that would be really at the very least making more of those sorts of things as gifts um more I mean because it's fun and it's personal and you've accomplished something at the end of it but also there have been these great ads I think there may be BC Hydro ads um in Mm -hmm. the movie theater lately and part of what they try to do is encourage you to make memories not garbage which is mm-hmm. really corny but actually a really <laughs> really good message um the one i'm remembering is the one where the kid decides he's gonna give his grandmother lessons on how to download music on her ipad yeah for Christmas, right yeah and so yeah so putting less junk out in the world purchasing less junk is all tied up in this sort of creating more things from scratch <laughs> resolution of mine we'll see we'll see you how that pinko commie hippie you <laughs> <laughs> That hasn't become evident over the last 17 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's about it for us for this week and for this year. Yeah. As usual, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. And um, I hope everybody has a great New Year's Eve and and a a happy first few days of uh, January of 2014. So um, so that would be great. Yeah, start it off right. Or, you know... If all else fails, start it off by doing very, very little. And then the yeah. rest of the year will just be, you know, great onwards and upwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd really love to hear from you about uh, anything that you loved in 2013, any of your top media stuff that we may have forgotten. Or um, if you have a resolution that you want to um, solidify by having us read it on the internet. Mm-hmm. Episode of 2014. Any resolutions you tweet or tumble or email at us, we will read. Yeah. So, um, so you can definitely get in touch with us. All of our information is on our website as SS at the sorry at sslibrarianship.com. Uh, you can also reach us at sslibrarianship on Twitter and on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in touch with one of us personally for any particular reason, um, on Twitter I am uh, at Bulbasoria. And I am at Spinning Sam. (laughs) Uh, We'd also, as usual, like to thank Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song, Glasses, off the album Artificial Heart. I don't remember if Artificial Heart came out in 2013, but whether it did or not, (laughs) you should all make it one of your New Year's resolutions to give it a listen. It is a lot of fun. For sure. Well, as always, I hope everyone has a safe and happy New Year. Um, Be happy, be healthy, and uh, as always... 
We'll catch you on the proverbial flip side.